morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Come on, amen, amen. Hey, uh, as Pastor Stacy said, uh, next message in the Love Does series. This is also the final message in the Love Does series, so uh, it's been a great run. Like I said at the beginning, I could just talk about the love of God and, and how we're to love forever, uh, but this is the end. And so next week, actually, I wanted to just let you know that next week, um, I'm bringing a message. It's in between series, but it's a message that I believe that God put on my, put on, put in my spirit for today, for this moment in which we live. And I actually thought about bringing it today and then bringing the conclusion to this series next week. And he said, no, that's okay. We can bring it next week. So, <laughs> but it's, it's all right. So don't miss, you don't want to miss next week. I say all that to say that next week is a fresh, fresh, timely message. Not that any of these messages aren't, but uh, you don't want to miss next week. I want to begin this morning. I want to call um, Bonnie up. Bonnie shared with me a vision uh, that God gave her some time ago. Come on up, Bonnie. And I just want her to share that vision with you. Um, I believe it's what part of what is God is doing in this hour. <coughs> so go ahead. Okay. Actually, it's visions but okay. it's kind of the same vision, and it probably goes back to late spring, early summer. Uh, yep. And I came to you many times yeah. and told yep. you what was changing. And initially what it was is I saw like a huge, massive corral. And the corral was packed with people, just packed with people, and it was gated. And it was during the worship service, and each time it was during the worship service. And it had a small gate in it. And in worship, I noticed over the weeks as it came to you, it's people, the gate opened, and a few people started trickling out of the gate. And then the gate was getting bigger, and... Um, more people were coming out, and they were being freed from the big corral. And I remember telling you, I believe God is freeing those who we've been praying for. And we all have those that are on my heart. And I'm just like, oh, God, that is awesome. You know, you are freeing people in the midst of uh, our worship. And um, a little time went by. And then it came back again. And it was just like halfway. There was, there was like no, there was like no gate. And like there, people were just coming out. They were coming out. Okay. And then it was like the circle was closing. Yeah, and it was during worship. And I just, it was like I heard it. And I really felt the Lord spoke to me that it's my people. That's it, right. It, it's the body of Christ. Yep. It's the church that was in there all that time. Yep. And in the midst of the praise and worship, God was freeing us. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap. Amen. Good job. Good job. The church is being released. The corral is being opened. We've been pent up for too long. We've been behind closed doors for too long. 
we haven't shared our witness effectively, and it's showing. And God right now is opening the gate. He's running through that corral. The Spirit of God is moving through that corral, and He is doing His darndest to chase you out of there. (laughs) Me too. Me too. But He wants us He wants us to get out of these four walls. I mean, yes, we're supposed to come here on Sunday, but we take our faith with us and we live our, we live our faith out loud outside this place for all to see. And when people ask, we tell them of the hope of glory that lives inside of me. We need to, we need to make a shift in our understanding, in our thinking so that when we meet people, we are ready, we are ready, we are ready to tell them about the gospel, unashamedly and unabashedly, that we're ready to tell them about God, that we're ready to tell them about the Bible, that we're ready to tell them about holy living, that we're ready to bring a message that may be offensive to some. The gospel in and of itself The message that Jesus brought is a message that offends. We we need to do our best to not offend as we bring the message. But if they're offended at the message that we're bringing, that's on God and that's not on me. But we need, there is a shift going on. And God is shifting us from this mentality where we come and we worship and and we receive from God. We will still do that, but there's a shift going on to where what we receive from God, we're going to go out and we're going to pour it out in a larger measure. Now more than ever before. There is a shift, and this is the time. And so be ready. Be ready for the shift. Be ready for the shift. Be ready for the shift. It's shifting right now. Be ready. And as that word came to me this morning, even as that word came to me, Charlie Ann, the Lord said that you're ready. So the shift is coming, so be ready, because you're going to get a lot of fruit out of this. I don't know what that means. But there's a shift, and you're ready. So just just do it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. Hey, love does... We've been doing this uh, sermon series for a few weeks. Last message today, God is a lover. That was last week's message. Today, I want to talk to you about the cost of love, the cost of love. How many of you know, we've talked about this before in previous weeks, but I want to dial in on a little bit, the, I want to dial in a little bit more on this today, that there is a cost associated with love. Every time we choose to love, it costs us something. When we want to be on time to pick our kids up when they get off the bus or after soccer practice or wherever it is, we have to sacrifice whatever it is that we were doing. We have to sacrifice whatever it was that we were at, whether it's our job, whether it's coffee with a friend, whatever it is. We have to leave that appointment maybe a little bit early to get to the place where we have to pick up our kids to get there on time because we want to be there on time for them because... We love them. We don't want them to be anxious waiting. Oh, is my mom coming? Is my dad coming? And so there's sacrifices. Every time we think about love, if I want to do something for my wife, I've got to spend, maybe I'm going to make her a romantic dinner. I've got to spend time to do that. Make the menu, do the shopping, buy the flowers, write the card, whatever it is I'm going to do. There's time. There's a sacrifice. Anytime we talk about loving someone, there is a cost involved. And Jesus showed us this. He pointed it out time and time again. There is a cost involved. The Bible says, count the cost. Before you decide to follow Jesus, count the cost. 
we're going to be compelled. God is going to encourage us to love others and we're to count the cost. It's going to cost us something, but we do it anyways. Amy Carmichael, who served as a missionary to India for 55 years without ever taking a furlough, without ever taking a vacation, without ever taking a break, 55 years, she wrote this. She said, count the cost for the Bible tells us to do so, but go to the foot of the cross and add up the numbers there. What's it going to cost you? What did it cost Jesus? Glory to God. The cost of love. It cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus all of the blood in his body. It cost Jesus everything. He gave everything so that we could have everything. He gave us what was his and he took what was ours. He gave us what was priceless and he took what was worthless. The cost of love. Amen. We read this scripture last week. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to jump in right into another one. Matthew 23, 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, you got to love the lawyers, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Fantastic scripture. We pointed this out last week. I come to this scripture very often. There's a different version of this in Luke. Many of you are familiar with it. We're going to go there and we're going to read this one. Luke 10, 25 through 29. And behold, a certain lawyer. Now, just because the story is a little bit different doesn't make it untrue. Jesus very well probably had both of these conversations with two different lawyers. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Jesus is saying, You're a lawyer. The lawyers were the experts in the law. This is actually where we get the term lawyer from today. These lawyers were experts in the law. So they knew the law, they knew the Old Testament law, and it was their responsibility to basically present arguments as to why we needed to do certain things in order to be following the law. Very similar today. They know the law. What shall I do to inherit internal? What is, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? You've read the law. You write the law. You teach the law. What do you think you need to do to inherit eternal life? And so the lawyer answered, and he said, you shall, love the God, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your not mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Thanks. You had to ask that question, didn't you? You had to ask. You know, we all would have been okay just making the answer up on our own. <laughs> but the lawyer digs us a hole. The lawyer spells it out. The lawyer says, hey, who is my neighbor? I've read that text a thousand times, the lawyer says. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? The lawyers, most of the lawyers came to be lawyers by being scribes. And a scribe's job was to take the Old Testament 
the law that was written on scrolls, and then to transpose it, to rewrite it on another sheet of paper. And so this was the scribe's, scribe's job all day. They were a Xerox machine. We didn't have copiers back then. The copier was the guy with the pen. And this, the scribes would just rewrite the, the law so that they had more copies of it. How many copies do you have? How many copies can you write? And so from, this, from the point of being a scribe, you go to being a lawyer because you're rewriting the, the law all the time. You're going to know what's in it. You're going to memorize it. How many times have you written, written the Bible? <laughs> Not read, written. Wow. Who is my neighbor? You know, you had to ask. Oh, boy. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side as well. Other side. What is this? Why does it say that? Because here's, here's what's in the law, is that if you're walking down the road and someone is hurt, injured, dead, they're your responsibility. You find them, you take responsibility. Now, whether this is in the law or whether this was written in by the Jewish customs is, now you're walking down the road and there's somebody on your, on, if he's on your side, so you're looking up ahead and you see there's somebody on your side that looks like they're dead, cross over to the other side of the road, it's not my responsibility. <sighs> really? This is what Jesus was mad about when they kept adding to the law to make the law of God of no effect. A pastor's coming down the street, and he's like, whoop, not my responsibility. A worship leader, a Levite, a worship leader coming down the street, not my responsibility. The pilgrims, when they came to this nation, understood that there is no freedom aside from personal responsibility. I'll say that again for those in the back. <laughs> the pilgrims, when they came to this nation, they knew and they, they spoke and they wrote it down that there is no freedom aside from personal responsibility. If we, don't, if we cannot rule ourselves well, then there is no way that any amount of laws will ever rule us and there is no freedom in that. If we as a people, our, for, our, our framers of the Constitution wrote this, and they said that this Constitution that we construct is only for a moral and upright people. And part of the problem that we see today is because we have failed to take the personal responsibility that we need to take as individuals. They passed by on the other side. This is not my responsibility. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil 
and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. Jesus is telling this story. He's telling it in the midst of Jewish people. He's telling it to a lawyer. It's not a parable. Jesus didn't, it doesn't say that Jesus told them a parable. It says Jesus said, there was a man. It's not a parable. He's not making this up. This really happened. How did Jesus, Jesus know about it? He's God. A Samaritan. He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking specifically to a lawyer. He's talking to an expert in the law. And he says, a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. They're a lower class of people as far as the Jewish people were concerned at that time. Jesus said, uh, speaking of the widow in, in Luke 18, should I take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? He didn't believe that she was a dog, but the custom at the time believed that they were. So he was testing her faith. Jewish people believed that Samaritans were a lower class of people. And Jesus is saying, this Samaritan came, and this Samaritan, this person who all of us would look down on, he showed compassion. He had love. He showed mercy. We'll read this in a minute. Mercy, compassion. God desires mercy. Jesus said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God loves mercy. God loves mercy. He desires mercy. He loves mercy. He loves mercy. Mercy is a form of love. God loves love. God loves mercy when we show love. God loves when we are loving towards others. God loves to love. God loves to be loved, and God loves when we love. God's a lover. He had compassion on him. He didn't shirk his responsibility, not my responsibility. Part of the reason why is because if that guy was dead, they left him half dead. He probably looked dead. If he was dead, it was, who, it was the passers-by responsibility to make final accommodations for him, pay for the grave, make sure that he got buried, all of that jazz. This is the way that the, the law was written. This is the way that it is. This is the way that it was. And so, so that and not to have to you know, spend the time, spend the money, spend the whatever, I'll pass by on the other side. I'll just not do what I need to do. This act of love that the Samaritan showed, it cost him something. Start to do the math. So he went and he bandaged his wounds. I would assume it poured oil and wine, pouring on oil and wine. So you have a wound, you pour oil and wine. It's the medicine of the day. Put a bandage on there. So it's costing him the oil, it's costing him the wine, it's costing him the bandage put him on his own animal. He put him in his own car. Drove him to the hospital. Took him to an inn. And he took care of him. Time, materials, money, 
All these things this Samaritan spent. Why? Who was this person? We don't even know. He was a man who fell among thieves. Was he Jewish? We don't know. Was he a Samaritan? We don't know. Was he a foreigner? We don't know. Doesn't matter. On the next day, when the Samaritan departed, he took two denarii, giving them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. On the next day, you know, start to just think about how much time, where was this, where was this Samaritan headed? It was on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. That's what we know. How long is that road? I think it takes about a day to walk it. He probably had an appointment where he was going. He's walking down this road and he has an appointment. Somebody's waiting for him. And he finds somebody that needs help. If I stop and help, I'm going to miss my appointment. We don't know where he was going. Well, we know that he was going uh, down this road, but we don't know who was waiting for him on the other. We don't know what business it was that he had on the other end, but he was going someplace. He was probably going there for a reason, but he took his plans and he put his plans on hold because someone was in need. How many times do we stop and look around and we say, I'm going to put my plans on hold because someone is in need. It's not just me, the pastor, who's called to love. We're all called to love. Every Christian's called to love. It's not just me who's called to lay aside my plans when my phone rings or when I'm driving down the road and I see somebody. I tend not to stop when I'm driving down the road and I see people broken down on the side because there's nothing that I can do in most cases. I mean, the Lord's going to have to speak to me to pull me over and help, and I have on occasion, but most times I stop and I'm like, hey, do you have help coming? Yes, okay, because yeah, well, I could look under the hood for four hours and not figure it out. <laughs> not a mechanic. I'm not mechanically inclined. I look under my own engine and then I fix the wrong thing. I don't want to break anybody's car and make their problem worse. <laughs> I'm going to show you mercy by not touching your vehicle. <laughs> oh, Lord. But I will stop when I feel like I need to and just say, hey, listen, do you have, do you, did you make a call? Do you have a phone? Is somebody coming? Yes. Okay, great. He showed mercy. This person who showed mercy. It's interesting that the lawyer says, he who showed mercy on him. I thought about the scripture a lot. Why did he say that? Was it because God wanted us to know that we need to show mercy? Or was it because the lawyer couldn't bring himself to say it was a Samaritan? Because he's so biased. <laughs> Why did he say mercy? God loves mercy. We, we sang that song, I Just Want to Move Your Heart. Right? We sang that song. You guys remember? Tell me what moves you. I'll tell you what moves the heart of God. Mercy moves the heart of God. When we show mercy, God's heart is moved. 
When we show mercy, God's heart is touched. When we show mercy and when we show love for other people, God's heart is moved. You want to move God's heart? Start showing love to people. Start acting in love. Start showing love. Start doing love. Because when we, when we move in love, God's heart is moved. And when God's heart is moved, all bets are off. <laughs> Can you imagine stirring up the heart of the Almighty One? Can you imagine stirring up the heart of Him who holds the entire earth and the entire universe in His hands? Can you imagine stirring up the heart of Him for whom nothing is impossible? Can you imagine stirring up the heart of God who is limitless in power? Come on. I just want to move your heart, God. When God's heart is moved, all bets are off. Listen, I don't care what, what the odds are. When God's heart is moved, I'm on God's side. The odds would have been a million to one, and we're all betting on the million. But if God's heart is ever moved to the one, all bets are off. I'm with the one. I'm taking that long shot. I'm always going to side with God. When Abraham Lincoln was questioned during this civil war, whether or not God was on his side, he responded and said, I don't know whether, I don't want to be on God's, I don't want God to be on my side. I want to be on God's side. I want to be on God's side. God's side is the side of love. God's side is the side of mercy. God's side is the side of compassion. When we desire to help someone, we will always have better results when we move with a heart of compassion. When we desire to just help someone in the natural, we need to be motivated by compassion, not because we might get anything out of it, when we are moved by God to pray for someone, we should always want to pray because of a heart of compassion, because we don't want that person to be in that condition any longer, no matter what we're praying for. When we are moved with a heart of compassion, we will always have better results. We will always have better results every time. And so we need to come to this place where we're stirred with compassion in our hearts and, we're move, and we move with mercy on the earth. You may not be good at showing mercy. I don't think I was for a long time. And I love hanging around people <laughs> who have the gift of mercy. It can actually be very aggravating. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. It's very aggravating. People that show mercy are just always so compassionate. Compassionate to the point where I'm like, why do you continue to show them compassion? Why do you continue to show them mercy? They don't deserve it. <laughs> Can I be honest with you guys? For the longest time, I lacked mercy. I, I'm better now. I'm better now. I've received mercy. I've received a heart of mercy. I have a lot more mercy now than, than I did back then. Hanging out with merciful people made me more merciful. I saw what it looked like. I understood the purpose behind it. And I saw the results out of it. And I desired to have that heart of mercy. And so I asked God and I sought God 
And I began to look and see through the eyes of mercy. And now I'm a much more merciful person. But we don't like mercy. Most of us don't. I mean, we love it when it's given to us, but we don't like it when we see somebody else receiving it. It's just the way it is. We need to get over that so that we can show mercy. We need to get beyond our natural man so that we can flow in the spiritual and we can show mercy. It's when we show mercy that we're going to live our best life. It's when we show mercy that we're going to see the gifts of God operate in our life. It's when we show mercy that God's going to be all over us and we can't stop. It's when we show mercy that all bets are off. It's when we show mercy that it all comes down. God moves. Awesome things happen. He who showed mercy, and Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Let me encourage you this morning, whether you have a heart of mercy or not, whether you are used to a heart of mercy or not, just go and begin to show mercy this week. Begin to show mercy this week. You need to be intentional about showing mercy if you want to have a heart of mercy. You need to be intentional to be showing mercy if you want to have mercy be a banner over your life. If you are not intentional about showing mercy and having mercy, unless you have the gift of mercy, mercy can be difficult. But if you're intentional about it and you ask God for it, he'll give it to you. We don't have to do this in our own strength. Mercy may sound like a, a high bar. It may sound like something that's impossible for you. But it's not that difficult. We ask God, he gives it to us. If any of you lacks anything, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. This is beautiful. We don't have to do it in our own strength. We have to go to God. We have to get it from him, and then we show it to others. God has set us up for the most beautiful victory ever. He's won the battle. He gives us strength. He sends us out to fight, and then he has the victory, and he says, we did a great job. It was all him. He won the battle. He gave us strength. We walked out. He wins the victory anyways, and he credits us. We can't do God's part, and he won't do our part. God is a God of the impossible. You and I cannot accomplish impossible things. But God is waiting for you and I. It's a commission. He, we're in this together. He's, he's made the deal. He's like, I won't move apart from my servants. They're going to move and I will move. And he's waiting on us. And when we move, he moves. God we can't do God's part. We can't do the impossible, and he won't do our part. But as soon as we take that step, he's there with us. He's there with us. He's fighting for us. 
There's a song, I, I can't remember the name of the song. It says he goes and he fights my battles. He, he goes and he takes the head of my enemy and then he calls it my victory. I don't know the name of the song. Somebody knows, Defender. It's, a, it's just, God. he fights my battle. He wins it. And then I get the credit. Awesome. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge that if one died for all, then all died. The, the um, other scripture that comes to mind that goes along with this is that we love because God first loved us. We love others because God first loved us. Our love for others, the mercy, the capacity in us to be able to love others, the capacity in us to be able to show mercy to others is God loving us first. I said that we love by the grace of God. Well, one of the things that causes us to love is when we become more familiar with how much God loves us. It's because God loves us that we love others. The love of Christ compels me, Paul writes. It compels. It grips me strongly and it pulls me places where I wouldn't ordinarily go on my own, where I would never choose to go aside from love. Why am I doing this? Because, because I'm gripped with the love of God and I know God loves that person and I'm going to serve that person because I know God loves that person and he wants me to help that person even though I wouldn't help him in the natural. I'm compelled. When I am feeling the love of God, when the love of God is gripping my heart, I'm compelled to love others, to show love to others. When I remind myself of how much God loves me, when I remind myself of how much God loves me, of how much he's forgiven me, of where I came from, it strengthens me to be able to love those who are less than lovely. Who are we called to love? The last, the least, and the lost. Who are we called to love? The Samaritans among us. Who are we called to love? Everyone. Even those who are enemies of the cross. Even our enemies, we're called to love them. Love them. Show them love. Show them mercy. Show them compassion. God, strengthen us that we might love well. God, strengthen us that we might love well. God, I want to be found loving when you come. The day is far spent. Jesus could return at any moment. Firmly believe that. Let us be found loving the brethren and others and those outside the church when he comes. Let us be found loving. Let us be found praying. Let us be found doing Love does. Let us be found doing. Let us be found loving. Doing everything from a heart of love. Everything from a heart of compassion. God, strengthen us to love. It's only by God's strength that we have this, we'll be able to love those he's called us to love. We can't do it on our own. Don't try to do it on your own. Get strength from him. The Bible says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. I said I'm more merciful now. There used to be a time that I was a Christian and I didn't think that I was forgiven of very much. But God opened my eyes. <laughs> he showed me what I was forgiven of. 
he showed me that it doesn't matter. You may have sinned once. You may have sinned a thousand times. You have zero dollars to pay that fine, to pay that bill. You have nothing with which to repay the debt of sin. We can't do it in our own. The only way that we have forgiveness of sins is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. I don't care if you've sinned once or you've sinned a thousand times. It's the blood of Jesus. You owe a debt you cannot pay, and you have been forgiven of much. We need to position ourselves in an understanding that we have been forgiven, that the sin that we had was enough to send us to hell, and we've been forgiven of that. Maybe my life didn't look as bad as the person's next to me. Maybe I didn't get caught as much as the person next to me. Maybe my sin didn't turn into as bad of a life as someone else. But it doesn't mean that my sin was any less expensive than the others. It's still very costly. I've been forgiven much. I've been forgiven much. I have been forgiven much. I will position myself to be forgiven much. You know, I used to think that in the story of the prodigal son, that I was the son who stayed. I was the son who always did everything right. But God showed me that I was that son that went and spent my inheritance with prodigal living. And I was the son who returned and begged God to take me back, even as his servant, because I was unworthy. And he forgave me. And he put a robe on me. And he put a ring on my finger. And he killed the fattened calf and celebrated because I came home. I've been forgiven much. And so I love much. If you're here today, whether you're here with us in person or whether you're watching online, you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that today. It doesn't matter if you sinned once or a thousand times. It doesn't matter how far away from God you are. If you want a relationship with God, if you want to know that you have eternal life, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's you today, I want you to just pray with me right now. Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come and live inside my heart, that you would help me to live for you all of the days of my life, that you would give me your strength to love others. Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life, that you died upon the cross for my sins, that you rose again from the dead, and that you are seated at the right hand of God. Come into my heart and help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer today for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to do uh, just two things. Number one, check on your Engage card. Today I follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for the first time. If you're watching online, please check that box as well. Uh, it, the second thing I'm going to ask you to do Make sure your information is filled out so that I can send you. I want to send you some information explaining the decision that you made and what your next steps are. Find a good church. That's the very first step. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do is to just come and say hello. I would just love to celebrate with you. love to know that you made that decision for Christ today. I would love to pray with you and, and just bless you today if that's you and you made that decision. Also on the Engage card, it says, This week I will... 
consider the cost. You know, sometimes we have to consider the cost of love. So this week, as we pray, as we look, as we're thinking about love, count the cost of love. And then this week, I will show mercy. Maybe, you know, you've showed mercy in the past. Maybe you haven't showed mercy in the past. Maybe you were like me years ago where I had a very difficult time showing mercy. The first step to showing mercy, if you don't, aren't a person that normally shows mercy, is to commit to showing mercy. When we commit to showing mercy, God will give us the strength and God will give us the ability to show mercy. Amen? I'm going to pray for you all and then we're going to receive the offering this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you right now that you would just come and fill us all with your love. God, give us all the strength by your grace to do with love. God, give us the strength to love the way that you loved. It's what you called us to. It's what you asked us to do. That we would love one another the way that you loved us. And God, let our love be found doing. Let our love be found helping. Let our love be found showing mercy and compassion to others. God, let us count the cost and let us say it's worth it anyways. It's worth it in spite of all the cost. I still choose to love. I still choose to love. I still choose to love. God, give us the strength. Give us the ability to love others and to love them well to love them the way that you would love them, Lord. God, we thank you for this series. We thank you for this message. And God, we give you glory. We thank you, God, that you loved us while we were enemies of the cross, God. In Jesus' name, amen.